Hello and welcome to Commagers. I'm Brian Costello. And I'm Jim DeSanto. And today we're looking at the 1980 Stanley Kubrick horror classic, The Shining. But first, as always, we ask the most important episode question, the first most important question of the episode. Tongue tied already at the beginning here. Always. Uh, What are we drinking this week? Jim, what do you got? I'm just drinking water because I've been sick. Had a few... uh few glasses of whiskey last night probably not the best idea still <laughs> yeah you've been very cold. sick we we had to push the show back yeah the whole family the, the whole DeSanto family house. is uh coughing it's it's not great it's not ideal no not real uh and i'm drinking down the road uh spring heel jack uh in honor of jack torrance and jack nicholson from the shine <laughs> tonight so 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 i'll be drinking uh that it's a delicious beer uh before we get into that of course it's time for fact check uh want to thank everybody for our last episode our harry potter episode which got huge uh feedback uh, a lot of views a lot of comments we were very excited great having uh katie DeSanto, of course on with us uh which is probably why we were um much higher viewership numbers. Oh, absolutely. I'm expecting, this, I'm expecting this to bottom out. Don't tell her yet. that, though. We do not want that ego no. just running wild. No, absolutely not. It, it, a couple of things from last week's episodes. I now understand what a marriage counselor is like, um, refereeing. And, and and there was not even any problems between the two of you. <coughs> and it, it was still something. Uh, uh. Did you by any chance, Katie, of course, has her kind of haggard fetish. Uh, could you think of any characters um, that were like him? Or is it still kind of... I, uh, uh, I Yeah, I really dropped the ball on like doing some investigation there. Um, but there he has seems to be. Pretty, yeah, but he's, I think, more unique than some of the other characters. A lot of the oh, other yeah, characters yeah. I are mean, much more like yeah, yeah. Arch- cookie cutter uh, than Hagrid is. Right. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking of the archetype of like yeah. the, uh, the person that would invite, you know, basically introduce someone from outside of that world into the world and and be and have that sort of relationship you know i, I wondered it, it's not as morbid but kind of like <clears throat> a, a virgil and dante's infernal right but but i don't know if he takes him th- i don't know but yeah, you know yeah, it's certainly yeah, not yeah. that kind of highbrow right, right, by any right. stretch uh, a couple other great things from last week first of all uh for those of you who watch the stream and don't listen to the pod i'm going to explain this to people who listen to the podcast uh my favorite part of last week's episode is the two minutes it took Katie to open a soda at yeah. one point yeah. during the filming of the show. And then I think uh, at one point she just went, oh, it's a twist. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and she also uh, challenged me to a street race, a foot race. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, a, that's a big and deal. And that, that is going to happen. Wait, I've been, I started trading immediately upon that. And I think yeah. she is very um, confident that she's going to win this race, she which is, is shocking to me. She is so slow, Brian. I, I I remember her being quite possibly the slowest person I've ever seen when we used to play softball in, at, high, in college. Right, right. At a full sprint, you would think that the like earth is turning the other way. Like it's like a giant treadmill. Well, I am I'm planning to win this race, not just win it. I am planning to uh, dominate it. It really must be seen to to really understand. Yeah, we will go. We'll, we'll do that live. I don't know. We might have to close the street down in front of your house. I don't know how we'll do that, but we'll figure it out. Um, and then finally, of course, probably the most important piece of last week's episode was my introduction of my idea of a pale reason Harry Potter concept album, uh, uh, which I've been pushing for almost two decades. And now is the perfect time with Pale Reason getting back together. They can go right from the stage into the studio. And I have uh, made a mock-up of it. Uh, the I, the album will be entitled, for those watching, uh, Pale Reason, The Boy Who Lived. And here, Jim could maybe describe the album cover for everybody. What, what Brian has done here is taken the Nirvana Nevermind album um, and actually made the baby chasing the dollar bill in the pool look like Harry Potter with glasses and a lightning bolt, uh, you know, scar and dark hair. And yeah. instead of the dollar bill, he has. Well, no, let me let me be clear. The dollar bill is still very visible. What yes. Brian well, has was... done is cut out and paste it what appears to be. Uh, a golden snitch on top it of the It is a golden bill. snitch, actually, from, from the Pottermore yeah. website. 
it was difficult to match them up um, to that side. But I actually also have a couple of songs uh, I prepared for it. Uh, a couple of my favorite tracks. Um, While My Wand Gently Weeps is one track. Um, no. Where, Werewolf in London, because we don't have to change anything. Like the song Werewolf in London, they're werewolves in the series and they're in London. So I yeah. think that's just ready. That's just ready to go. And probably my favorite track is Get Out of My Dreams and Onto My Broom, inspired by my love of Billy Ocean's um, I, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Car. This will be a platinum selling album. There's a clear problem of taste here. Yes, you. The, I think. No, I think what the real problem is is I'm working harder for your career than you're working for your career. I think you're confused you're, you're, about you're, what my career is, Brian. You're you're, you're <laughs> passing up big time money opportunities here, and it's it's sad. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. All right, so that is the rundown. Uh, this week, our film is the Stanley Kubrick. Um, I guess you'd say classic. It's certainly become a classic, though. We'll talk a little bit about the time it was not considered mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, movie The Shining that is very loosely based off the Stephen King novel The Shining. Yeah, I mean uh, it has it has a lot of elements from the Stephen King book um but it it definitely does not follow that storyline to a T. Yes. Uh, so a little bit background here on the making of the film. The film is very much in line with Kubrick as a director, who we who we have yet to do yet as a mm-hmm. director, um, and is one of the all time greats. Um, but he is a very specific type of director, visually yeah. the way he shoots, the way he does things. Uh, he was coming off his probably biggest financial failure prior to this film. He did Barry Lyndon, which unless you're probably a very hardcore movie fan. Uh, you may not have seen before. I've but never from, seen it. Yeah, but from a from a technical perspective, it is like a, a worshipped film in terms of the way he lit it, shot it, like all Kubrick films. And he was looking to do something that was going to be financially viable. He actually had always wanted to make a Napoleon biopic um, that so he wrote. Weird. No, but it was supposed to. They're actually going to make it, believe it or not. It's going to be turned at Netflix. I, I think it's Netflix bought it. You know, he died before he could make it, Um, but he needed something that was going to make money and he needed something that was going to be mainstream. So Warner Brothers had been selling him some, you know, selling, sending him, excuse me, some books. And he settled upon Stephen King's Shining, mainly because he had some other horror ideas and stories he was using. And he thought the, the plot of it worked in with what he was trying to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that in mind, why don't you have a quick rundown of what the background of the story is, the basic yeah, plot the, ba- the basic plot point is that um, Jack Torrance, uh, who is a writer, um, you find out early in the movie that he is also a teacher, high school teacher, um, father, alcoholic, <laughs> um, yeah who has been sober for about five months, I think, at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably right. The incident that uh, sort of made him become sober, uh, and you get this exposition from from his wife at some point, uh, Wendy, uh, it was that he came home uh, drunk, his son like knocked over a bunch of his business papers, and uh, his, his, his papers. Business what, papers. What, what is his? What is his business? He's, he's unemployed now. <laughs> he uh, he knocks over some school papers, and then um, at that moment, he you know grabs him by the arm and pulls him, um, and uh, dislocates the child's arm. And at that point, he like vows never to drink again. Blah blah blah. So fast forward five months. He is applying for a job to uh, basically be the caretaker of the Overlook Hotel in, I guess it's outside Boulder? Yes, I believe that's where it was supposed to be. And it's in the middle of the Rockies, and it it basically uh, is inaccessible to uh, humans uh, five months out of the year, I think they say, you know, from like, what do you say, October to May? Yeah, they don't even bother opening it during ski season. Right. And they said too much snow, it's just not financially viable to clear all the snow on the one road in and out 
Um, so they basically uh, close and they're open only during the summer. So they need someone to stay there during the winter um, and keep keep the uh, place from uh, being uh, swallowed by the elements and you know make sure the heat's running in certain parts of the hotel here and there. Um, so that's what the, the, that's basically where we start is that with this family of uh, Jack Torrance, Wendy Torrance, and Danny Torrance, the son, are going to the Overlook Hotel for the winter. Um, yeah, and that's that's, and there there's where we go from there. Yeah, and so in our five and five, we're going to break it down here. We're going to look at the visual style of the film, the music of the film, and then we're going to look at, for all intents and purposes, a film that has only really three characters uh, that are fleshed out. And I mean, there's maybe a fourth we could throw in there, but we'll look at Jack Torrance, Wendy Torrance, and Danny Torrance, uh, and then we'll talk about the end of the film yeah. and kind of what he was attempting to do. But I think it's, um, we were talking before we came on the air about this. Um, the lasting thing about this film, I think, is the the visual component of it. Which is a lot of Stanley Kubrick's films. You could say something similar, but I mean, right. think that might be our, our jumping off point. What What was your thought visually um, with how he put this film together? It's it's awesome. I mean, the the visuals of this movie um, basically define how people think about movies in like that are set like in the seventies, right? Like if you were trying to make a retro feeling movie today the shining would probably be at the top of your list of like aesthetically like the aesthetic you would go for as far as like what the scenery looked like what the costumes look like you know everything they did was very uh was very stylized and then even you know obviously the way he shot it is is technically just brilliant um it adds i think we both said this prior to jumping on you said you felt uncomfortable throughout this entire movie. Uh, and that's a lot to do with how he shoots this. Yeah, I mean, he is the master of framing shots. You know, the way he frames things. And there's a couple of things about this movie in particular. It's one of the first films to use Steadicams. Uh, in fact, the creator of the Steadicam was brought on by Kubrick to shoot this film, yeah. you know, and operate the camera. And you could tell. And I, I think that's the interesting thing you bring up. You do. You get this aesthetic of we if we were going to go shoot a film and say, let's make it a late 70s, early 80s thing. That's what we'd be gravitating towards. Right. But nobody could do it like him. No, like the, the the madness of it. It actually comes from, believe it or not, he was a, um, a still photographer. And the one great thing I think about Kubrick is um, you, you kind of want to see every shot. And, and there's a deterrent to that, I think, in terms of character development. We'll talk about when we talk about the characters and things in his film. Yeah. Sometimes maybe he works worries too much. Of, and Barry Lyndon, which his film was before this one, was criticized for the same thing. Maybe he's worrying too much about the visual. But the visuals are stunning. Every shot, the way he shoots it, the wide angle lens, so everything's in focus. Mm -hmm. Everything is framed perfectly. Everything character-wise is framed in a way that is telling you a story. Um, it, yeah, I don't think we've seen anything quite like that in terms of films we've done on the show so far, in the very least. Yeah, I mean, the the closest would be, I guess, Shape of Water, in in but in a different way. But um, it was the same kind of meticulous attention to what was in the shots i think well that didn't 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 uh shape of water and i you know i hadn't seen the shining and so on i didn't think about it but it was almost a lot of shining elements to it the way he shot it right you know it had to be an influence on the way he did it you well know, yeah the camera I, I, just I think it's hard for through yeah it would be any any director would would take some uh influence from kubrick uh i think you know at this point it's it would be hard not to um because technically, like we said, he's just brilliant. I think his shortcomings come more with storytelling and 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 other aspects. But the the actual technical direction of the movie and the, and the individual shots are always like incredible. Well, they've always said if he wasn't one of the best directors, he would have been the greatest DP of all time, the okay. greatest cinematographer of all time, or the mm -hmm. greatest light, you know grip or anything like right, that of right. all time because that's that's how he did it but uh the other thing you hit on i thought was the the set design mm. 
And, uh, you know, two things with that. First of all, they built in England because Stanley Kubrick pretty much refused to get on planes or travel from England towards the back <laughs> half of his life. That's why um, Full Metal Jacket is shot in England. Okay. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut, even though the whole thing is set in New York City, they filmed the whole thing in London. Um, oh. He just didn't like to travel. They rebuilt the interior of that hotel pretty much completely. Wow. And you can tell with the steady cams, he doesn't have to cut anything. So, you know, some of the visuals that are amazing in it, obviously, is Danny riding his little three wheel, uh, you know, th- three wheel or through the hallways or the way right, in right. which they can be constantly walking through the hallways and the camera is following. And it's like they can do it without cuts. Um, right. And I think it's amazing. And I also think one of the really interesting things we'll talk about to the end is obviously the role of the maze. Oh, and yeah. It allows him the hotel and the maze are almost the same thing. You know, when you're in the hotel, the shots are almost the same. So the hotel is a maze in itself. And, you know, that's him, I think. You know, he he doesn't like to, again, with character issues, I don't think he likes to delve necessarily in the characters, but he lays a lot of subtext and a lot of ideas there for you to kind of explore if you're so inclined to explore. So the one thing I I thought – watching it is that how you know we 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 talked obviously about the camera being a character but the one thing uh with so many shots where it is following the characters um only about two paces behind which is like within arm's reach just yeah. it, it just so unnerving it, it's like it's, it's a ghost almost right yeah it's, like hovering it, it, it's, there. it's, it's really weird it, it's it's kind of creepy and uh, yeah, so he's always like right over the shoulder of the characters. He's right behind Danny. I think ingrained in my memory of this film, every time I thought it, think about it, um, I always think about that that shot of Danny riding the big wheel and going over yeah. the carpet and then onto the hardwood. And this, it's this like really creepy, like uh, you know, the sound of like hearing the the wheels on the hardwood. Yeah, and they they inverted. Yeah. They inverted the Steadicam for it. They actually created that rig so they could get it that low to the ground. That's cool. Which which is wild. But he is um, – was it last spring? Because this was uh, the anniversary of 2001 being released. I read a mm-hmm. book actually on 2001's making and you get some great insight into Kubrick about how obsessed he is with set designs. Yeah. Like every hotel room was based on a real hotel room in the U.S., he sent people all over the U.S. taking thousands of pictures. He didn't want to de- create it from, like, his mind. Each of those rooms and the hallways and the patterns and every were real hotel rooms. In That's fact, safe. the bathroom, the red bathroom that we get in later, oh, yeah, Jack's yeah, yeah. in there, that is actually based on a real bathroom. That's funny. I like, was immediately I, thinking it was like the white stripes bathroom. <laughs> no, I but that's but that was like really interesting to me that they would go to that type of level to build yeah. it, to light it, how we would do all that type of stuff. And it is what he's best at. And his choices too. you know, all the paranormal scenes um, when we get into them are quick, abrupt and jarring the way he shoots it. Right. Where everything else are these dissolves. Yeah. You know, the dissolve you overuse when you get taught in college how to use the editing, as as I would say. You're like, oh, wow, I could. Yeah, I'm going to dissolve this. And he actually said, he goes, I hate, he does. He doesn't use dissolves a lot in his films. And he he goes, I hate it. But it allowed him to show it and use it as a passage of time. Right, right. Like his playing with time's really interesting. It's the same thing with the title cards, the use of the title yeah. cards. And they said, well, why'd you use title cards? He goes, really? He's like, instead of exposition and having Jack Nicholson say, well, it's been five days since that happened. I just put the cards up. Yeah, and that he, was even unnerving. That but he, was also, like, he also used it to like escalate. So yes. like, like there were certain points where it was like, you know, Monday and then it was like Friday or or uh did, was there one for like October I forget I well forget. I, I I the one I think you're thinking of is the awesome one where it's Wendy and Danny are running outside and yeah. it just like he's looking out and all you get for an entire day is like it's like Tuesday and then you just see him looking out like a demonic lunatic right and then it cuts to like Thursday <laughs> Like, right, there's right, no right. dialogue, nothing in that sequence in the way he does it. 
So I thought that was um, I thought that was pretty cool how he used that and how how he did that visually. Um, and then without that, the lighting and the music. But Amazing. let's go into the music. The music is I don't think I've ever remember a film where I should say a non-musical, you know, where music plays such a pivotal role in creating the tone of a film. Yeah, it's creepy right off the bat. It's it's all these like discordant um, synthesizer type sounds, but it's I think it's orchestral. Um, I, like it sounds like strings just doing really weird things, and um, yeah, it's it, again adding to the unnerving aspect of this. That right off the bat, even when you're just seeing like this peaceful car driving through the Rockies, like it couldn't be a more beautiful scene. Um, it makes it seem like they're heading for disaster right away, right? Yeah, right. it's crazy. Like the opening shot, like you're saying, a beautiful little island. It's in the center of the city. The second <coughs> that title song hits, yeah, you're unnerved. The way they do the credits at the opening, like the way they right. scroll them in the font, and it's kind of offset everything it's, about the it's film. It's long, too. That opening yeah. is long. But it's they let so... the music really do some work there. Yeah, I, I just and, you know, Kubrick had done this. He actually started this with. Uh, well, I don't think he started this, but he did this in 2001 as well, yeah. which he's, he doesn't have like original music written for it. They're all or, uh, you know, they're all pieces of music that he manipulates and uses okay. in different ways. And it's my God, it's so wildly unsettling how he uses it. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, this is not a. Something's going to jump out from behind the wall, scare you, jump out of your seat movie. It's just not, you know, right. the way he even shot it, the type of shots and the type of lighting he uses. There's not a lot of shadow. There's not a lot of people creeping out from the dark or any of that type. So he oh, shoots no. it, he lights it differently, all these types of things. Uh, the music certainly isn't your heart, you know, where it's like building to a crescendo. It's just kind of the whole time your hair on the back of your neck stands up. Yeah, it, it's funny that you could have, you could have had like three quarters of the hotel shut down and dark, right? But there isn't, there isn't a, a a moment in this movie where they're really playing with any kind of dark room. It's bright as can be the whole time. Yeah, and I think that might have been this movie at its onset was not particularly well received. It was yeah. very good. Financially, did very well financially. Warner Brothers was really happy with mm -hmm. that. I, I guess you could argue he achieved what his goal was. He needed to have a financially successful film, but King didn't like it. Oh no, you know, he didn't like it at all. And to be fair, really, Stanley Kubrick had no time for Stephen King. He, you know, right. he kind of just said, you know what, characters doesn't make any sense. He goes, I like the plot. He thought I thought the plot was good. The idea of the hotel and stuff like that. He goes, everything else. No interest. Uh, you know, there are hedge animals, I guess, which are a big part of the, yeah, yeah, the, in the, the maze and stuff. Right. And so and he was just like, I can't do this. We don't. The CGI didn't exist to do this. It right. would have looked ridiculous. Uh, you know, there were some other character points that actually I think based upon what he says about what King wrote. I kind of agree with Kubrick and we'll talk about that when we get into some of the character pieces. Um, and then the ending he just did not like, and you've mentioned this before. Stephen King is, is not always the best at closing out. Right. But to be fair, the ending here is pretty bad too. See, um, I, I found this one interesting in terms of the film. Now I don't know the book. Yeah. I, I understand in the book, the hotel burns to the ground, right? Isn't that, I think that that's yeah, true. I th yeah. yeah I think that's what it years and years. So, dude. So I think that was more Hollywood cliche. And I'm, listen, they're, they're totally separate things, which is fine. I mean, Stephen King went on and got to produce a, a miniseries on ABC yeah. that's more close to what he wanted it to be. Right. So, I mean, you can but go the out guy there. From Wings. It is the guy from Wings. And actually, there's a sequel book, right? There is a sequel book. That's Danny's excellent. an adult. It's an excellent book called Dr. Sleep. Yeah, that one's really good. And, and they're going to do a movie, of movie that. of it, right? So right. we'll have to, have to see that. We'll have to see that at some point. So the music and I the think shooting. It's uh, you and McGregor right now. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, I'm interested yeah. to see that in terms of how they go about that. Yeah. So let's start delving in a little bit to the characters in the film. Uh, again, 
there's really, for all intensive purposes, what I think is really intriguing about this is this is a film in many ways of three characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're looking at three different people. I mean, there are obviously some other characters, but minimal screen time. And, you know, I, I think in the book, characters probably played a bigger role. But for all intents and purposes, the the major protagonist in this film is Jack Terrence, played by Jack Nicholson. Uh, what did you think of his performance? It's pretty great. I mean, it's there's not much to really complain about here. Um, <clears throat> there are parts where I think it's a little a, purposefully over the top. You know, obviously this is where you get the iconic shot of Jack Jack putting his face through the uh, through the door and screaming, "Here's Johnny!" Right? Like yeah. that's that's like one of the most famous uh, horror movie images uh, ever. Um, so yeah, I, I, he's he's great. He, the whole the whole time he he really does a good job of being able to pull off both sides of this character, which are just a you know normal normal writer, and then you know tortured socio you know whatever crazy killer crazy at killer, the end yeah. um, unhinged. You know Jack has always had that unhinged value to him in every movie he's been in. You know. So, I don't do know. you? There'll be. Here's an interesting question. Did I, I? And I think it's you have to rewatch this, I guess, a few times. I guess in the book, the character of Jack Torrance is more of an everyman, and then there's a deconstruction of yeah. who he is. So, where well, that's, to, I don't feel like they played it that way at all. And I think, and it, reading about the film, Kubrick didn't necessarily have an interest. You know, he, he admits he's like, there's not a huge change in the character here. Cause in the movie, we're starting out with a guy who's kind of a dick already to yeah, be fair. Yeah, I there, don't think there's he's no, um, there, yeah, it's funny. You should say that because it's funny. You should say that, you know, Kubrick didn't have time for the characters. Um, and so he's more about plot and, 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 you know, all the, the, the other parts of directing the film, I think Stephen King, to a fault when he's writing, only cares about characters. Yeah. He does not, you know, the plot and everything else can sort of be damned almost to to a certain extent. You know, he he has, I, I think I've, I, you know, I've seen him talk and I've, I've read a lot of his stuff and, you know, in interviews. And he basically says, you know, he comes up with the idea and then sort of the characters sort of take it where, where it goes. Um, it's almost and, like you need to combine... Kubrick and King and you right. can get like the perfect well, the, balance maybe. If you watch if you, you if you watch the new It movie, I think that is probably the best single Stephen King adaptation to this point. It is different in all the right ways and and the same in in all the right ways. Yeah. Yeah. I and and you know the interesting thing with um when I was reading about this and I watched uh, Sidney Pollack, the great director who had actually acted for Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise and stuff. He actually said that what you had to kind of understand about Kubrick when he makes movies is he didn't look for reality. Right. You know, even in a supernatural thing, you know, he was operatic. He was making almost operas. You know, re he, you know, he had a saying, I guess, that he would say to people, real is good. Interesting is better. And I think that's interesting when you think about him doing it as an opera almost where it's, you know, there's more to it than reality. You know, he's he's trying to get different things across and there's right. the characters uh, especially go tend to go over the top. Yeah. There's certain archetypes, you know, of how they play it. And he's looking for something interesting. And right. I think a lot of people early on said, oh, man, even Steven Spielberg, who's friends with Kubrick, said, he, you know, Spielberg said to Kubrick, oh, yeah, I liked it. And Kubrick's like, you're you're bullshitting me, man. <laughs> I, I know how you're talking about this. You didn't like this movie, did you? Yeah. And he goes, well, Jack is, you know, he's kind of he looks crazy and he's screaming. He goes, yeah. He's like, you know, that's he's like, that's exactly how he's supposed to be. Yeah, supposed but to that's make a, you uncomfortable. Like, that's the that's problem what I have was. with this. And I, I don't see the progression. And I, I guess we could talk to this because it's it's really about Jack's character. I don't see the progression from, you know, Jack Torrance, the writer, to Jack Torrance, the killer. Um, really, I think Kubrick leaves it up to us to make pretty drastic jumps in in 
in knowing what kind of pushed him there or got him there. But I know, um, but can I say this is why I think the ending works? Because I, I think you, you want to, can we just jump to the end? Cause it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, like the idea of the end is so everything happens. And the, the last shot is you push on this picture that was taken in the overlook hotel at 1921. Right. And Jack's there. Right. And they've he, been, but, but so, but that's why I, I, like I partly think this works, which is it's supposed to be an idea of reincarnation and his soul's been coming back, which I understand wasn't part of the book or anything like that. But this this idea that he never really was a good person. Right. And in that respect, the idea that he was he was kind of an a-hole always. You know, there's all sorts of subtext. He's abusing his kid. There's all sorts of ideas out there. If you look at some of it, it is that he was mm-hmm. sexually abusing his son that they play on if you read some stuff on it. Um, he wasn't a good person. So you weren't going to see that much of a change in his character. Mm. And that by him going back there and and then um, what's his name? The waiter telling him, you know, who was the kid Lloyd saying, you know, no, you've always been the caretaker. Right, you've right, right. always been here. You've always been this. Um, and maybe that's me just giving a pass a little bit. There certainly isn't an arc to a character like you would see in other things. And I, and maybe that's interesting in itself. Right. But no, I could understand I, not liking it though. I, could I actually like that part of the ending. The, the part of the, uh, the end that I don't like is, is um, like the plot points of how he dies, which is basically like he gets lost in the maze and, and like Kubrick adds all the tension with how he shoots it but in in reality there's like if you were if you were standing 300 feet above the overlook hotel watching that scene play out there's literally no tension and it's just like the way he cuts back and forth from the three different characters who are nowhere really even near each other and then all of a sudden jack's frozen and it's just like uh, okay yeah, but you know what? I, I think it was in, in terms of the end. So to give you an idea of what happens at the end, he's completely lost his mind. At this <clears throat> and, you know, he's chasing Wendy and Danny, his kids, and he goes into the maze, which have been established at this point. Um, and, you know, Danny's brilliant. Again, the Steadicam yeah. shots here are awesome. You know that, that to get the the look of snow – they used 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam. That's crazy. And he was shooting this with a crazy lens. He was shooting with a 9.8 lens, which distorts everything. So those hedges look like they're over 12 feet. They're only like nine feet. But the lens pushes things out, and you're so off balance when you see him running through. Um, but part of what he was attempting, I guess, to get with this is why Jack's dying is you're seeing when he starts grunting and, and all this type of stuff and he mm-hmm. can't even talk. And what they were saying is this is kind of the mirror of if you've seen 2001. In 2001, the monkey the ape, soon to be human, you know, throws right. the bone into the air. And he's that ape in that whole opening sequence is turning more and more and more into a man. And this is the deconstruction gotcha. of a man into a monster. So he's like you. He he's like purposely as he goes through the maze, he starts to become less and less audible. He's turning less and less human, and he's deconstructing until eventually his soul is completely gone when he can't kill Danny and appease the the hotel, and then he's just dead because there's nothing left of him. Um, but you gotta. I mean. Honestly, if you don't read on this movie, like I did a lot of research on the movie and I've seen it a lot. If you're just seeing it the first watch, like Spielberg, when he when when Kubrick said, you like it, I didn't really like it. But then Spielberg said he talked to Kubrick who went back and watched it. Spielberg's watched the movie over 25 times now. He says The Shining is one of his all time favorite films. But Kubrick makes you work. You know, in terms no, of that, see, that's where I disagree, because like I, I understand there are there are. He he makes you work with no payoff. That's the problem. Like Steven Spielberg had the benefit of fucking talking to him. That's not fair, right? Like this is my problem with Kubrick, and 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 you see it in Eyes Wide Shut. You see it in a lot of these movies that he doesn't really care about telling a story, and and he won't come out and tell you what he, the theme he was going for was or what he was really. 
um, trying to tell you with each scene. So it's sort of left up to interpretation, which to me sort of says, like, do you have any idea or are you literally just going with interesting is more than is better than real? And that's a problem for me when it comes to film. Like, I, I don't care about shit that's just interesting anymore. Like, I want to I want to hear good stories. And well, technically, this is not a great story, right? Like, no, I. But I think it's interesting. I what I what I think's interesting about it is that you can be completely absorbed in this movie for all its flaws, oh, and there's sure. certainly flaws with it. And well, that's, but that's like, but maybe that is a different type of filmmaking. Do you know? It's you know. Um, yeah, and it's, it's technically it doesn't have to a be, home it's run. Not so every, like, yeah. yeah, it's not everybody's, you know, ball game. And it, I mean, every director has their their strengths and their weaknesses. Right. Uh, you know, his is I think he tells a lot of stories just through visuals. Right. You know, and um, Spielberg, which we loved the opening to Raiders, you know, steals some of that element as well. You know, Steven Spielberg's very good at telling stories sometimes without dialogue. Uh, Spielberg's obviously much more mainstream and I think does a better job of um, connecting to average filmgoers. You know, he does a better job of being lightning focused with the plot. Now, one of the things you're saying about characters, and we've talked about this, he doesn't necessarily care about characters, is I think interesting because one of Stephen King's biggest issues with the film was the character of Wendy. Oh, yeah. And how she was portrayed. And he felt that this was demeaning to women, that, you know, she was, you know, just a worthless character that had no ownership and things like that. And and I thought. First of all, I thought Shelley Duvall was amazing in it. Yeah. Do you know she was nominated for a Razzie? No. For worst actress? That's crazy. I, I, I don't. What did you what did you think of Wendy? No, I thought I thought she was very good. I think the uh, the scene specifically where she's explaining to the doctor how Danny dislocated his shoulder was she was out of control. Good, like that was like that was very believable to me. That was like a character moment, and you don't have a lot of character moments in this movie. No, <clears throat> everyone's pretty should... wooden up until Jack starts to lose it, right? Yeah. Except. Except Wendy. Wendy's the only other character in the film that isn't like a a wooden like. But mess. Do, I mean, here, here's my question. You do think this was exactly how he wanted it played, though? Like we've talked about, like in Jurassic Park, with the characters being wooden and dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, was, yeah. This was and a that choice. was. I mean, this was all by choice, right? This was not like, oh, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, I think it was very him, specific yeah, in terms yeah. of what his vision was, yeah. if we like it or not like it. But I mean, it was... Right, but it's know, the same thing, said, like, uh, open the pod bay doors, Hal. Like, it, that that woodenness is how... And you see the same thing in Eyes Wide Shut. Like, he, that's how he he basically shoots and, and, and talks about humans as if they're robots, right? Like, that's what Cal oh, Cooper yeah. treats characters, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you could not get away with how he directs now. I mean, no. Shelly Duvall, he what I find really <coughs> interesting about Kubrick and he could never do it today was how he treated Shelly Duvall and how he treated Jack Nicholson on set. Oh, he yeah. kind of played the role of the hotel. So to Shelly Duvall, he was what we would call emotionally abusive today. You know, he would belittle her. He would push her David all on Russell purpose. style. Yeah. But all purposeful, like, and then would be like, fine, when, when the film was done, he's like, oh, you're great. But he wanted her to feel how Jack made her feel. Yeah. Like she was worthless, like he didn't think she was any good. And he, and on the flip side, he would tell Jack, he would like praise him like the hotel. And and Nicholson actually got to write a line of, you know, like, see, oh, no, you're great. Why don't you write us a scene here? You know, and I think like he was so, even though we don't like, the, the character archetypes, or I, I, I don't mind them, but I can understand the concern with the character. He does everything to get those people into those mindsets. And he would do the bat scene when Wendy hits Jack with the bat on the staircase. Mm-hmm. That was 127 takes. Oh, 127. And he said he would just keep filming it. And a lot of the good Jack stuff with here's Johnny yeah. and all this stuff. 
was take 60, take 70 type. But it should be fair. He he does kind of get a bad knock for things. He doesn't rehearse. So remember we said like when we did uh, Big Lebowski, we talked about how amazing that dialogue was because yeah, they were yeah. rehearsed for two weeks. He just films the rehearsals. So if you probably if you were the Coens or something, if they were filming every rehearsal take, yeah. you would get that. And yeah. I just watched that's another one. I mean, Tom Cruise gave up two years of his prime yeah i mean that was like prime tom cruise like when he was the number one guy and he was filming eyes wide shut for two years yeah didn't Um, he have to walk through a door like 60 times or something oh yeah he would do that all the time i we should watch that film sometime because that 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 film is wild i I am not i'm not a big kubrick fan i i I i think the especially when he's when he's part of the writing crew um all right so what what about um King's critique. Do you think she's a powerless woman? I because Kubrick said for him the reason he designed the character like that yeah. is that he never believed a strong independent woman would have stayed with Jack after what had been done to Danny and all these type of things, and that this needed to be a woman who was probably abused either physically or sexually prior to that relationship, that having her be a strong, independent character based on how he was going to design Jack as a yeah. character would not have made any sense at all. Yeah, well, that that's a good point. If I can remember correctly from the book, but the whole the whole Danny um, be getting his arm – uh, dislocated actually plays out as Shelley Duvall explains. That's yeah. actually what happened. It was he's not an abusive father. He's not that guy. He's not a bad guy. And this this actual time he was drunk, <clears throat> you know, he overdid it and and actually hurt his child by accident. And so that is well, like you know, kind of a shock to the system, right? Yeah, and King was an alcoholic when he wrote The Shining. Oh yeah, which, which is probably, I think, yeah. <laughs> which I think was part of his anger with how Kubrick covered it. You know, it was it was it was a very personal novel to him, and he didn't yeah. feel some of those elements were there. Now, what yeah. about Danny? What did you think of Danny? He was, I mean, great as far as like a little kid that age, creepy as hell. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, five thousand kids tried out for that role. Jesus. Why they, they interviewed five because they were just interviewing. It was an open cast call. Oh my you god! You know, it was one of those open cast calls. They had um, they had five thousand kids, and I thought he was good. You know, I thought there was good stuff. You know, is uh, the stuff through the the maze was great with him. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought he did a really uh, you know, a pretty solid job. So we kind of got to the ending already, but the idea here was always going to be the ending here it was always going to be um this idea of the picture and stuff like that but for kubrick part of it was this you know danny's relationship with his father and what you know what is the the family dynamic here in terms of thematically what we're seeing and i thought that to me was really interesting you know this is being written in the 70s i mean the late 70s was a pretty horrific time in in American history you know, people were not happy. The country was in a really bad place. The family structure was really not in a good place. And it, it's pretty obvious. I think from scene one here that Jack has no interest in his family. He has no interest in really being a good father. Right. right. And, and they are a burden to him. And right. I think that in itself is a, a, just as a father is a disturbing thing to see. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, it, it, there's other films of this era that, uh, you know, even just a couple of years before, right? Like things like what else was going on at, at this time? Like, uh, Well, I mean, you could look at what I've always said. My issue with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, basically like Richard Dreyfuss is like, ah, screw my family. I'm leaving. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, there, and I mean, Steven Spielberg himself plays with the idea of uh, abandonment and fathers throughout most of his films because, yeah. you know, that late 70s and 80s period, he wasn't talking to his father at all. So there was a lot of that dynamic. But I thought it was it, it's really depressing, I oh, think, yeah, in the yeah, sense yeah. that, yeah. you know, what the commentary of the selfishness the the lack of love you know what 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 is it like to 
be in the relationship as a child when you're seeing that. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, yeah, there's that scene where he goes back to the room to get the fire truck. And there's just this really weird scene between. Oh, they sit on the bed together. Yeah, they and... sit on the bed, and then he says something like, "He can tell, right? Like, like he, Danny knows that things are not good." Uh, so he basically says, "Like, oh, are you feeling good, Dad?" <laughs> or is like, or, or does he, I can't remember if he says, "Do you feel good?" or "Do you are you feeling bad?" I can't remember which one he says, but it, yeah, it's basically like. And no one feels good watching it. So, like, it's very apparent how how sad this whole situation is. Like, yeah. No, I, t I think it, Kubrick had a really interesting quote uh, after he filmed it. He goes, we are capable of the greatest good and the greatest evil. And the problem is that we often can't distinguish between them when it suits our purpose. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting too. It's like this, this selfishness, this like <clears throat> desire to whatever. And it's like, be damn everybody else. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't care. I'm a, he's a, Jack is a horrible person. <laughs> and again, it's not, which is, I, I think an interesting choice. Um, I think he had to go about it the way he did or it would have been horrible. Like if he tried to have him be a good person and then by the end he was a bad person, he didn't develop a character enough to do that. No, but right, right. Just, yeah, but he's yeah. just not a good person. And he just, you know, and that's interesting to me. You know, like that, that, like that element of, you know, this is certainly not an optimistic view of people. No, you know, yeah. and and that and that to me is it's well, really depressing. That, that might be the one thing that he gets right from Stephen King, which is something that I always when whenever I talk to someone who um, finds out that I like Stephen King and and you know either they don't like the, like him or or they think the books are you know too scary or something and I I always try to tell people to you know the biggest thing to take away from Stephen King I think is. He likes to take a group of people or, you know, small or big, depending on the scope. You know, you have the stand, which is pretty much everybody or something smaller like like the shining, which is the, really the three of them and put them in a situation where there's like something either creepy happening. Um, and there are some books that don't have any, you know, um, you know, fantastical elements. But um, but then, you know, there could be a big, bad monster. Right. But. He always plays with the idea of when we're in these situations, how awful can people treat each other? And usually the other human characters always, even, the, you know, and if we, we will do it because it was one of my favorite. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, 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 I have not seen it still. In it, in The Stand, in, you know, The Dark Tower, in all these books, there is a big bad monster. But there is always a human element that is just as bad if not worse there's always a human who is willing to treat the fellow man in an awful awful way yeah i mean this is the worst parts of us right is what he's reflecting and you know one of the things they always said about kubrick too is he always liked to reflect you know the characters aren't necessarily but the theme of you know what he society was like at that given point mm -hmm. and i think He's kind of saying society is crap right now, right. basically at the point that this is coming back. You know, it's all after the Nixon administration, you know, like all this. And it's like people are selfish. They're not caring about their children. It's mm -hmm. all about them. And it's and it is a a troubling window into just how bad, you know, we can be. Mm -hmm. and And the fact that Jack doesn't see himself as bad. And I think that's intriguing how they play that as well. And I know that's part of a descent into madness, yeah. but it's just like, it's, it's played in a way without, and, and I know at the end they have ghosts and stuff like that, but there's a lot of the film where you could be like, this is just guy going crazy. Maybe this is just a horrible person going crazy. And I like yeah. that about that. Uh, and, you know, we'll end on this idea that Steven Spielberg's famous quote about Kubrick is once you start a Kubrick film, it's impossible to turn it off. 
And I do, I do think that that is, that is true. Yeah. And, and I think it's because the technical, you immediately realize that you are seeing like technical brilliance, right? Like, and it's hard to, to turn away from that. It's like, yeah, you, you immediately know that like every shot and, and you have something to either learn or, or just experience from every shot you, you'll see. Yeah, I, 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 I keep thinking about it and I keep wanting to watch it again, which yeah. I rarely do. Like, I, I'm like, yeah. I, I, I should probably just watch it again. And like and I, I said, I, I don't even like, I, I don't like, like, I would not put this in my, like, probably in my top 100. Like, but I, yeah, again, like, I, there, it's just, it's just awesome to see what he can pull off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just, it's a film that stays with you. I would yeah. highly if you've never seen it. I, and I'm not a horror film person at all. I thought this was probably more down Jim's alley than it is mine in terms yeah, of what yeah. I would usually watch. But I man and I like Kubrick, but I don't know. There's just something about it. Like it just creeps you out. Yeah. The whole yeah, time it good. creeps you out. So that the, was awesome. I'm glad one we did thing, that one. Well, let me let me say one yeah, no, thing. Go ahead. Uh, Jack drinks Jack Daniels. Um, and I did like that. I like that they sort of hinged his madness on really two scenes which is uh wendy uh accusing him of hurting danny yeah which plays closer to my side of what i was saying is that the the dislocated shoulder thing was an accident right yeah like if you play it that way then him getting all bent out of shape and and worried yeah and you know basically getting having like getting pissed off because she's saying like you hurt our son when he yeah. knows he didn't um and then he goes into he he finds the, you know the bartender and uh basically lloyd, lloyd. <laughs> and gets the uh, waiter gets some yeah. jack daniels yeah. and that's yeah. sort of like the the beginning of the of descent. his descent yeah, yeah. the trends and we didn't even get into the big which Shining fans, if they're watching this, probably go crazy. Is the whole room two thirty seven thing with the haunted? Yeah, yeah. Crazy ass. Uh, we have we have got to stop having creepy bathroom sex scenes in the movies we talk about. <laughs> yeah. uh, because I still think Shape of Water was probably creepier as a bathroom. Oh sex no scene. way, no <laughs> way. <laughs> I think that was. Uh, but watch that. Uh, I real again highly recommend it. All right, it's time to go spanning globe pop culture wise. Uh, instant reaction this week to ta- uh, is the trailer for um suspiria which is <laughs> looks maybe more creepy than the shining if you have not seen yeah, that yeah it looks good i i uh, i watched it before we got on tonight uh watched the trailer and i i don't i mean i'm interested but i don't know if i want to see it it looks pretty yeah disturbing. it's really it's now it's a remake of a, a film from the 70s yeah uh stars dakota johnson um from you know our recent uh, bad times at the El Royale, which yep, you saw, yep. uh, and it's an Amazon film. So you actually, if you have Amazon Prime, which so many people now have, you know, especially you have kids, you just order stuff right and left off Amazon like we yeah. do, I'm sure. Uh, it will be on Prime, I think, soon. It's running in theaters. Uh, I, I'm with you. I'm like intrigued. But I don't know if I want to watch it. Yeah, I don't want to be I, that I disturbed. Yeah, I, I don't. It looks wild, though. Yeah. Tilda so, Swinson or Swanson. Yeah, Swanson. I mean, I don't she know. She looks I, terrifying. She looks yeah, like she's the it, bad person. <laughs> I don't know. I. It's going to be one of those things I, th- I think I almost have to watch. Yeah. And, and Tom York from Radiohead scores the entire the, the film. The entire film, yeah. Which is pretty uh, crazy. Yeah, and that trailer just, it, it's a good trailer. Yeah, so everybody check that out. Again, not my type of movie by any stretch, mm-hmm. but I'm really kind of intrigued um, by that to see what it is. All right, a couple other topics here that just we can go through rapid fire here. Um, a couple weeks ago, I posted a picture of this on our Facebook site, Golden Girl Serial, which was created oh, by yeah, yeah, Funko yeah. exclusively for Target, is now selling at over 100 dollars a box on ebay because it's sold out in the stores what is it that people like so much about the golden girls why are people paying a hundred it's basically like blue cheerios i mean they basically took cheerios uh, yeah think, it's not the and cereal. dyed them blue it's... like what what is the fascination with the golden girls you think it's had this huge resurgence like ryan reynolds talks about it all the time he like loves the golden girls i don't know um i remember it i remember being it being slightly amusing 
But I don't remember and we were it being, young. Yeah. I don't yeah, I don't I don't remember it being like a cultural game changing sitcom or something no, like that. No. It's, no. I don't know. It's why a yeah. hundred but would you who has money to be paying for a hundred thousand this Stanley Kubrick was still alive, he'd make a movie about that. I'm gonna reflect on how dumb society is that people are paying a hundred dollars <laughs> yeah. for a box of Golden Girls cereal mm-hmm. on eBay. Um second point here. I found this really interesting. We've already done the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, the creators of Lebowski Fest. Oh yeah, yeah. Have decided to create Caddyshack Fest. Oh, that's uh, cool. And it's it's the summer of 2019. It's going to be right outside Louisville. Oh, that'll be good. Should we go? Yeah, I think we should go, and we should do the Bourbon Trail. I I think we we should. We could do Caddyshack. And do the bourbon trail summer of 2019 uh it could be the first ever com majors uh trip yeah, uh, if, that... if you are interested uh you could comment below and we could see yeah. if we could get a whole uh yeah. crew together for only uh, five thousand dollars a person brian, brian and i will take care of hotel accommodations and you're responsible will... for your flight let's yes. put that out there you're responsible for your flight but we'll get a block in your room and we'll get a block of rooms <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll reserve a block of rooms you have yeah. to pay for it yeah uh and uh we will do a a special caddyshack episode just for you nobody mm-hmm. we won't even record it on the podcast uh and you can uh listen to that i thought that's pretty well i love caddyshack at some point we should do caddyshack yeah, I yeah think that's true that's an awesome film uh, and then finally last topic of this week uh naomi watts was just oh hired yeah, yeah i heard this to star in the game of thrones prequel <sighs> um does that interest you no does does the, the idea of because there's a lot of them lined up no i i i don't you're a big game of thrones guy you're a huge i love i love the show and i love the books um i'm just not interested like i just want some new stuff in my life like at this point like i'm not well, interested like, in, it, especially going like, backwards it's going to a prequel like i don't well it, it's like the lord of the rings thing then amazon's good amazon's gonna pay like a billion dollars for Lord of the Rings prequels when it's all said and done. Now, I guess I could argue at least there is content there. Content there. Um, but, like, I, I'm not interested. Like, it's same problem. Like, I am sure, because so many people have told me that Better Call Saul is amazing. Yeah, I haven't watched it either. I just I'm just not the, interested. Like, I, I love you know Bob Odenkirk, and I up. think it's funny. I know where it ends up, and I know what to kind of expect like I, I like big epic stories and i like uh, you know I, I like small character stories within that right but knowing that that i'm pretty much only going to be in for small character stories week to week because at the end of the day we know what happens yeah. to jimmy like i i don't know it's yeah, yeah we well, know what happens I, to Saul, so no i i it, it's interesting to me i like Game of Thrones, does it bother you that Martin's spending all this time developing stuff and not putting out another book? Yeah, I mean, but he was doing he was that? he was doing this before he had TV shows. It was taking him forever to get books. I mean, done. this is crazy. How long has it been since the over a decade? Um, no, it hasn't been ten years. It, um, I thought the last one came out is I got it for you when I was working at Barnes and Noble. No, 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 that was not the last one. The one that was the one before it. Yeah. I mean, and that was like 14 years ago. So there had to be one after that. But that's got to yeah, it was know, 2011. It was published 2011. Okay, so, so but still, I mean, that's coming up on eight years. Yeah, it's a long time, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't he, read the he books, is very so. slow. Um, I hope he makes it because he is not the most uh, physically fit man. <laughs> he's in the got world. he's got a lot of balls in the air with regards to characters and stuff like that, and I feel. I feel like he probably has a team of people helping him at this point. With, I would hope with bring, so. Bringing this in for a landing. Yeah, um, well. Stephen King had the same problem with the Dark Tower. Um, and then when we were living in Maniok, if you remember, he released the last three books within like 
a year of each other. Was it that fast? Yeah, it was like one, and then six months later, another, and six months later, the last one. And that happened because he was almost killed. He was hit by that Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was nervous that he was not going to be able to finish it. Okay. Um, And he just plowed through it, but yeah. Plowed through it. All right, so uh, that's spanning the globe pop culture. Now time for five questions. We have our five questions broken egg timer. Uh, Here we go, Jim. Five questions. Uh, It was Halloween this week. Yeah. Uh, Thumbs up or thumbs down on healthy Halloween treats, giving children things like apple slices when they come to your door? I think uh, you need to have variety so that you can accommodate parents, but don't be the house that only has apple slices. Apple slices. Good idea. All right. Same question I asked Katie your wife last week yeah. uh sexier swayze uh patrick swayze in dirty dancing or patrick swayze in ghost oh i don't know i think ghost all right oh split decision yeah yeah we're gonna have to bring in somebody uh for a, th- a third opinion here to figure that out although he all has right. some other roles that, that well can... well we could get that in future weeks yeah, we're just yeah. we're doing all that right. one right now all right yeah. fill in the blank uh my best my best halloween costume ever was blank not your favorite what do you think your Ooh. best halloween costume ever was my best halloween costume ever was i think waldo i was where's waldo one year that you were snood one year you were pretty good as the snood characters that's true i was I where's was waldo snood. that was a good one where's waldo all right yeah. my favorite one ever my mom made me uh the michael keaton like 1989 Batman, she like sewed it for me. It was <laughs> awesome. It was so good. It was amazing. All right, uh, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, Reese's peanut butter cup. I think always. All right, oh, awesome. All right, and finally, our deep thought question, tying into the idea of the, the Shining, which we didn't even really talk about uh-huh. in the film because I don't think they made it <laughs> that pivotal. Yeah. Uh, but you're supposed to be able to kind of see into the future. Uh, if you had a chance to see into the future one time. What would you look at? Oh, Jesus, Brian. I don't know. Hmm. What would you look at? What would you go to see? Probably the the next World Series winner. All right. So I could Biff Tan in this thing. Oh, you're gonna biff tan in it. I yeah, got you. And I'm okay. gonna make. I'm gonna a lot of money. I'm not gonna do something like go and try to figure out when I'm gonna die or anything like that. No, that okay. would just haunt me. So I'm gonna go and figure out. I can bet a ton of money on some team to win the World Series next year and change our lives. <laughs> well, I can tell you, it won't be the Mets. I could tell as you that as Met well. Yeah, as a Mets fan, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, and that is five questions. All right, time for recommendations. Uh, anything for us this week? You got anything? Uh, I recommend drinking a lot of water and getting some sleep when you're sick. Um, I'm still only if I have not done as much reading as I should. So, uh, still reading through the Stephen King, The Outsider. It is great so far. I am riveted. I want to know how this story turns out, and I'll give an update when once I finish if it lives up to all the hype that I'm uh, giving it. So. All right, perfect. Uh, my recommendations this week, kind of creepy, noir, Kubrick-like, um, is Ken Bruns' The Guards, which is one of probably my favorite novels of all time. It's very jarring. It's um, it, it's like a Kubrick film in the terms of how he jumps around and the, the storytelling, amazing. Um, if you've never read it, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's not for everybody. You know, that that's the thing, you know, it's it's probably not for your mainstream, you know, I'm going to read a book on the beach. I'm going to read three books a year type thing. Um, But but it's really it's an awesome book. Um, Also, of course, our standard plug on November 17th, which is rapidly approaching uh, Pale Reason. uh, We'll be playing the reunion show at 119 North, the grand opening of 118. Grand opening? No, or, no, no. They've no, been no, open, no, it's open, been open for a while. Yeah. Okay. Um, but 118 North in Wayne. Uh, tickets are available. Tickets are free. This is important to understand. Tickets are free, but you need to. You kind of want to get get a ticket because potentially this could be a capacity. It, it, there event. are literally dozens of people that want to come to this show. So, yes. I have my ticket already. I was the first person to get my ticket. Yeah, that's I'm, true. And I'm very and I will excited. say, you know, with as far as recommendations and speaking of pale reason, 
make sure to check out Keenan's podcast. We were just chatting the other day. We're definitely going to have to figure out a time we can all get together and, and watch something. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that will be fantastic. And I've actually been taking some voice lessons, uh, and I want to perform with Pale Reason. You're going you're gonna to have to perform the, uh, the broom song. Yeah, so I I will be I will be ready to do that. Um, plugs. What do what do we need? Do we just kind of plug some stuff. Yeah, if you're here? listening to us uh, on uh, Facebook, if you're watching us on Facebook, um, you've obviously already found us there at Com Majors, um, and you can definitely uh, follow us on you know subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, um, all all the places. Uh, I am working on getting us up on Spotify. And uh, you can follow me and Brian individually on Twitter. Uh, I'm at uh, Soldier on TV. Brian is at B Costello Books, and our podcast uh, account is Majorscom on Twitter. Excellent uh, reminder after our fantastic Harry Potter episode, uh, our next bestseller to blockbuster episode is going to be November 29th. It is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We'll be discussing the book and film, uh, and we'll see if Katie will come back. Oh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully she will come back. Uh, that will be after Thanksgiving, the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, and we're excited to announce next week's movie. And it's not really next week. We record Thursday, yeah. so you'll see us in a couple of days. My bad. Uh, it was my uh, wife's birthday, it, well, coming up on Saturday, so we let her pick the film. Really excited, she picked Field of Dreams. Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, which is kind of out there. It, yeah, it, does that, she actually that, like that movie? It's one of her favorite movies. She can, it's like right. the only movie she can quote lines from. Right. She like it loves Field of Dreams. This was just so people know. This was not Jim or I being like, "Oh, we're gonna say we're gonna let her pick the film, and then she like we'll just pick what we want to do." She picked Field of Dreams. We're gonna need to get Maddie B involved a little bit. Yeah, might have to shoot I, him I, a message and say, "Hey, might. give us some talking yeah. points for this, yeah. Maddie." Well, B. I, I gotta say, I watched this uh, the other night, and, and it is it is awesome. For those it of you really that don't know, the 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 great Maddie B. Matthew Bernard, he yes. would in college fall asleep to listening to the movie, not like a soundtrack. He yeah, would just, turn, which turn, was turn which the, was not easy back then no, because no. it's not like today where you could you know just throw it on YouTube on your right, phone right. or something like that. You had to play like VHS right. he tape would listen, all night long. He would listen to the dialogue and and the, listen to the movie to go to sleep. I mean, it was so, it's a, it's an awesome movie. So it's got movie. a lot. We got a lot coming up. Uh, also, hopefully soon, uh, Pale Reason, uh, the boy who lived, will be available on iTunes somewhere soon. Uh, great show as always, Jim. Great to talk to you. Yeah, uh, we'll be you, back. Buddy. Field of Dreams. Uh, we'll see you then. All right. See you, everybody. See you.